Welcome to the Sales Management Podcast, your source for actionable sales management strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Corey Bray. No intros, no long ads. Let's go. Today's topic is one of my favorites, keeping your boss off your back. How often have you heard this in a professional sales podcast before? You probably thought it, but nobody wants to talk about it. We're talking about it today because I am a firm believer that if you're able to keep your boss off your back, you're going to be in a better position to do a job. And guess what? Your boss is going to get better results from you as well. I haven't had a boss for a long time. The last time someone was over me on the org chart was in December of 2015. And since then, it hasn't been the case. I've I've been doing software and consulting sales and delivery and love it or hate it my consulting clients and my software customers well they're kind of my boss about my career sounds kind of like a boss doesn't it but it's not and it's not for a very specific reason i have contracts i have contracts with every one of my clients and customers and they specifically outline what i will do what they'll what they will do And what happens if there's a disagreement or if either party fails to perform their duties? These are written legally binding contracts. And what happens is that the structure, it provides owners and executives with powerful benefits and freedoms that aren't afforded to regular employees. By the time we get done today, I'm going to help you understand what some of these freedoms are and how you can apply them in your role. But first, let's uh, let's do something else that we probably haven't done on podcasts before. Let's let's read an employment agreement excerpt and uh, and see what it sounds like. So, uh, an employment agreement it might be called an offer letter at your business. I've got a, a popular template here from a well-known law firm. So, here it goes: On behalf of company name, wherever you work, a Delaware corporation also known as the company, I am pleased to offer you the position of sales manager. The terms and conditions of this offer of employment, letter of agreement, are as follows. Number one, duties, status, start date, and location. A description of your initial duties and responsibilities is attached to this letter agreement as exhibit A. Let's dig into this for a second. I'm gonna gonna break from the reading. So duties, so that sounds like a job description to me. Here's the funny thing about job descriptions. At this point, where they put it into an offer letter, they probably pulled it off the website. They said, hey, here's the job description we've got for this person. They wrote it up. They spent some time on it. Maybe they pulled a template. It's funny because I've actually used job descriptions for prospecting in the past. And so I was reading a lot of job descriptions. They just copy from each other. Company A... They write this job description and it's the same language. And you can, you can tell that nuanced language. It's like the plagiarism detector. So they drop this job description in there. And oftentimes after you start, they never go back to the job description. So, so they drop the job description in here. And, and then they say, this is, this is one of the great lines. There's going to be some good zingers in here. And when we, when we dig into this, you'll understand why. Going back to the the employment agreement, your job description is subject to change from time to time as deemed necessary or appropriate by the company. So in other words, your job description is whatever I tell you it is. So there's a, there's a sample, there's an outline here, but there's no contractual commitment 
that what was on their website when you applied for the job, that what's here in the offer letter in Exhibit A, there's no contractual commitment that that's actually your job description. It's all vanity. They're putting it here and saying in the next sentence. So in the first sentence, they say, here's your job description. And in the second sentence, they say, we're allowed to change this however we want. You don't have to agree. They have carte blanche. They can do whatever they want. And then the, going back to the contract, it says, you agree to faithfully perform your duties and responsibilities consistent with your position. Your position will be a full-time salaried employee commencing on date. The location of your employment will be blank. So... I think this is one of the places where the lawyers are going to have some fun. You know, it, the location of your employment will be the spare bedroom next to the crib. <laughs> It'll be in that room in the basement that nobody used and you put some drywall up and some, some padding. Yeah, so the, you, you've got a location of employment and then going back to the agreement where you are expected to be present during regular business hours. In your position, you will report to whoever, the VP of sales of the company. So you're, you're agreeing to all of these things. This is, this is a contract. So you're binding yourself to this. And the only thing that they bound themselves to is to be able to do whatever they want. So that's, that's section one. Duties, status, start date, and location. Let's go to section two, salary. The company will pay you a monthly salary of X dollars and prorated for partial months to be paid in accordance with the company's standard payroll policies Subject to normal required withholdings, you'll be eligible for a incentive compensation plan performance bonus, fill in the blank, whatever it is, of X dollars. Subject to normal required withholdings and at the discretion of the company. Now, I think the template I, I pulled here didn't have the uh, the language that some some organizations use, which is which is going to say as outlined in a compensation plan, which will be agreed to separate from this agreement. And it's also going to have that same language that they can, oftentimes they'll have that language that they can change it whenever they want. So we're agreeing to the salary. And then that was, that was section number two. There's four sections I'm going to read. I'm not getting into all the, all the crazy legalese. Uh, section three, benefits. You will be eligible to, to, to participate in any regular health insurance plans, which may be established by the company for its employees. You will be entitled to X number of working days of a vacation, or it could be unlimited. The amount of vacation time that's available to you for partial years shall be prorated, of course, and all benefits and compensation are subject to change from time to time as deemed necessary or appropriate by the company. So again, here's what we're going to do for you, but you can change this whenever you want. I'm getting somewhere with this. And then the fourth section, at will employment. Your employment with the company is at will as provided by applicable law meaning that either you or the company may terminate your employment at any time for any reason or for no reason with or without cause or notice. So this means the company can let you go whenever they want for whatever reason they want, or they can state there's no reason at all. We're just going to do it. Now it also affords you the option to leave whenever you want, which is interesting because then you've got that whole concept of a two weeks notice or four weeks notice. And if you don't give it, then you're hurting the company. Well, why isn't it in the employment agreement then? This is, this is very fascinating. So then the contract continues. If you choose to accept this offer, your employment will be voluntarily entered into and will be for no specified period. As a result, you will be free to resign at any time for any reason or for no reason as you deem appropriate. The company will have a similar right and may terminate its employment relationship with you at any time for any reason or for no reason 
with or without cause or notice, they, they kind of rewrote what they said in that first sentence, just using substantially more words. Okay, those are the first four paragraphs. And I bet you, if you go look at your offer letter employment agreement, it's going to read similar. And the funny thing is that when people get these, they're, they're very excited. People are very excited when they get an offer letter. They're like, oh yeah, you read it with rose colored lenses, the most favorable possible way that you can. And talk a little bit more about this. And then we're at the point of how do you keep your boss off your back? This is the game that you've agreed to play. That's the important piece here. Now, my favorite genre of music is country. But my favorite band isn't country. It's Metallica. Don't know why. It's the only heavy metal band I like. And my, my Spotify year-end wrap-up says I like them almost as much as This Week in Startups and the All In Podcast, which I listen to more than Metallica. But I do listen to a lot of Metallica. And why do I bring them up? On March 3rd, 1986, they released a song called Disposable Heroes. Part of the chorus goes, You will do what I say when I say it back to the front. You will die when I say, you must die back to the front. I'll, I'll try to sing it real quick. You can, you can tell me if, if this is. You will do what I say when I say back to the front. It sounds like that. I'm not a singer. I think I probably got kicked out of choir when I was in high school. And so they, I wouldn't, I don't know. I didn't need choir in high school. Elementary school, whatever it was. Not a good singer. Apologize for that. Okay, so the, the lyrics are a little gruesome. It's about war disposable heroes telling people to do what they say and then the next verse goes on to say barking of machine gun fire does nothing to me now sounding of the clock that ticks get used to it somehow so it's just becoming normal this is just the way it is i'm just acknowledging that okay cool so back to the front i'll do as i'm told yeah all these things that would be jarring and and odd yeah they're just used to them now so what's this have to do with sales management Well, that's how these employment agreements are written. And unless you take your own job into your own hands, that's the way that it's going to be. You're going to be told back to the front, do as I say. Oh, by the way, everything that I agreed to as the company in that agreement, you also acknowledge that I can change it. So the company in in this employment agreement, they haven't agreed to anything. They've just outlined the, the today state and you've given them permission to be able to change anything inside of there. So let's talk about the tactics that we can use in this environment now that we've established what game we're playing. Because you've got to know what game you're playing. If you don't know what game you're playing, I used to have this mentor named Dean. Dean Watkins, great guy, RIP Dean. Love you, man. And and one of the things that he would, he would get so frustrated with some of the organizations that he worked for, he'd say, look, I can play football, I can play baseball, but if I think we're playing baseball and I show up with a baseball glove and you want me to play football, I don't wear, I'm not wearing pads. I'm going I'm to get destroyed. So tell me what game we're playing and then I can come show up and I can play the game. So the rest of what we're talking about here is how do you get alignment with your boss so it's very clear what game you're playing and you can go you can go at it in a position where you're set up for success despite the fact that you've signed this agreement that basically gives you no rights. Handful of items that we're going to go through here. Let's see how many I did prep for this. How many do we have here? There's uh, nine. Nine items we're going to go through. No, eight. They're in letters. and I know J is the 10th letter of the alphabet, so I just worked from there as a, as a point. So the first, the first one's commitment. Get your boss to commit to what good looks like. Because if you don't, they're going to change their mind. You do something. You think it's great. You present it. Oh, yeah, here's, here's what I've done. 
Well, they don't think that's that's different than what they thought was going to happen. Boss might come in and say, why didn't Timmy hit full quota this quarter? Well, he's still ramping. And the boss says, well, I was counting on full production. What do you do in that case? You, you weren't, there was no commitment around what good looks like. You know, what is it? What is a good discovery call look like? What is a good demo look like? If you don't define those things, the boss can come back and second guess everything. That's, that's so annoying. What, what does a good pipeline look like? What does a good pipeline review meeting look like? What does a good trial or pilot look like? Get commitment around what good looks like. And if you do that, then you know what game you're playing. And the second point, timeline. When should things happen? Establish reasonable expectations so there isn't a disconnect between when the boss thinks something should happen and when you think. Things take time. And it, you're, you're not going to, you know, one of my old bosses used to have this saying, he said, you can't, uh, nine women can't have a baby in one month. I always thought that was interesting. You know, one woman can't have a baby in nine months, but nine women can't have a baby in one month. Things take time. And, and ensure that you've got agreement around what that timeline is and, and how long whatever you're working on will take. Uh, third point, support. If you have blockers, if you foresee blockers, get support lined up. I've worked with a lot of companies that have deal desk. Deal desk, some, I've worked, some deal desks are great. Some deal desks, they're the sales prevention department and they get in the way of deals closing. If you waited too long, oh, sorry. It's gotta go through deal desk. Oh, five days from now, deal desk will get back, from, get back with you and, and have things that you need to change internally before going back to the prospect. It could be a blocker. And so if, if something like deal desk is a blocker, ensure that you've got the support of your boss. And so there's, there's alignment there because if a deal slips to the next quarter because of something you can't control like this, then that shouldn't be your problem as a frontline manager. I'm speaking to frontline managers here. If you're not a frontline manager, read into it, how this applies to you. Or if you're somebody that wants to get into management, this is something you're going to have to deal with. Uh, another point around support is maybe the SDR team's a mess. If you're in a company where your team relies on SDRs to fill their pipeline and you've got underperforming folks, maybe you have people that left and there's open headcount, or you've got people that just aren't performing at all. And instead of terminating employment, they're playing HR games. They're not letting somebody go. They're not replacing them. They're writing them up three times and putting them on performance improvement plans and doing that dance with uh, the individual that isn't performing and isn't keeping your team's calendars full, that's incredibly frustrating. So how do you get support around that where you can backfill a role early if you anticipate somebody being terminated in six to eight weeks? Well, let's get somebody else in there now. And the, the cool thing about salary is salary vests. If you've got an SDR that's $70,000 a year, then, or let's use easy, easy numbers to do math. So $60,000 a year, that's $5,000 a month. Well, invest another $5,000 to get somebody in the seat now and so your sales team's calendars can be full. An empty calendar for an AE is the most expensive thing that an organization can have in terms of opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is massive. And then in terms of support, one other thing, if, if the items that damage your ability to win are out of your control, figure out what your boss is doing about them. You know, either work together to solve the problem have it be something they can take on and so you can focus on your team. Frontline manager, 
hard enough to spend enough time coaching your team. A lot of people tell me they don't have time for coaching. Well, I don't have time for coaching. I say, why not? I say, well, I've got to do all these other things. Well, all those other things, that's a blocker to coaching. Coaching is the highest impact activity that a manager, frontline manager can do. And they're getting drug into to these other areas where they just don't have the right support. So that was point number three, support. We've had commitment, timeline, support. Now we're going to go to agendas. Create an agenda. You might be doing this. And if you're doing this, let's, let's see if we can get a little tighter with it. So create agendas for all meetings with your boss and circulate them in advance and allow your boss time to add to the agenda. I once had a boss, man, this guy, we used to say that he practiced seagull management. You know, he's like a seagull, you know, big white bird. I don't know that big, medium-sized white bird. He'd fly in, make a mess, you know, the kind of mess that seagulls make. And he'd fly away, be gone. Just stir stuff up, cause problems. And the wise man, Dean, who I already mentioned, he was, I, I, I learned this before, but Dean really drilled it home with me. He said, look, make the agenda circulate at pre-meeting and get commitment that the only thing that will happen in the meeting is a focus on the agenda item. Because if you've got this type of, of boss leader, whoever it is in the org that comes in and wants to throw things at you and have you react to them off the cuff, it's, it's going to create a mess. So the, the idea is that instead of letting their mood dictate the meeting and instead of letting them nitpick things that might be personally important to them but don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, force this agenda and, and add some structure to it. There might be different categories. You know your business better than me, but there might be specific categories around, I don't know, you could do something with people, process, and technology. Those seem to be three categories that people use oftentimes in, in a sales world. So what's going on with the team? What's going on with the process? Handoffs, catching things from SDR team, handing things off to customer success, and then technology. Do we have the right tools? Are they implemented? Are they being used? Are they having impact? Maybe that's, those are some good three high-level categories. You, you can add to those, change them however you want. But having that agenda and having the meeting be agenda-driven and not letting your boss come in and just throw stuff at you cold, that's key. Now, again, they're the boss, so they can do it, but you can condition them a little bit. And we'll get to uh, how that compares to the other people on their team here in a little bit. So next item, reporting. Make sure you've got a structured reporting package that focuses on agreed upon metrics. Just like nitpicking the seagull management stuff, it's easy for someone to come in and pick and choose a metric. How many metrics are there that could be looked at within your purview? There's a lot. There's a lot. How many really, really matter though? There's probably not that many. And some might be the major metrics that matter. There's there's not a ton. And obviously there's lots of derivative metrics. And you know, people, if, if you think about politics, People can make anyone look bad at any time for any reason. You give them a big data set, they'll they'll pick and choose the data and they'll they'll find a way to make you look bad. And it might be just there might be no no harm or, or malice there. They might just be looking at it. It's the first thing that jumps out at them, but that might not be the most important thing to look at. And so one of the ways to keep your boss off your back when it comes to metrics is focus on the same metrics week over week and those metrics that really matter. And we, when we think about metrics, you know, start at a high level. So if you're, if you're managing a team of salespeople, account executives, well, sales is probably the most important metric. And then when you decompose that a little bit, you know, what's our win rate? What's our average deal size? What's our, 
days to close? What's our conversion rate from lead to opportunity and from opportunity to close? What's our stage to stage conversion rate? What's, what's, uh, what's the quote attainment across the team look like? Uh, things like that. How are we ramping our new people? So you can decompose these metrics into submetrics. I think I just made that up, but derivative metrics that are, that are also important, but define what you're going to be looking at, define what good looks like. This goes back to a point that we had on earlier, and then you're aligned on what you're looking at and you're not going to get hit with surprises. That's the next point. No surprises. Stay ahead of what could go wrong. If there's a problem, bring it up early. If someone on the team might leave, bring it up early. If you're going to miss your goal, bring it up early. And this, this goes for, I think, there's a, there's a way that you could interpret what I've gone through so far and think about bosses in a negative connotation. But all managers, all senior executives hate surprises. If something bad's going to happen, look, bad things happen in business all the time. If bad things aren't happening, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. But the faster you can identify that something bad will happen, the more opportunity you have to, to correct it. Which brings us to our next point. Have a plan. Don't just ask your boss what to do. Hey, hey, here's a problem. What am I doing? Y'all you, know this if you're in management. You're, you come with a plan that can be signed off on or edited. And the further you can take that yourself, the more autonomy and leeway you're going to get. And then force the boss to make a decision. I've got a friend that's a, an executive and he reports to someone who reports to the CEO and his boss won't make decisions. His boss delegates all the decisions to the CEO. I said, look, just come there with a plan and force a decision. There's no chit chat. There's no circular talk. It's like, here, here's the plan. Do we accept the plan or do we edit the plan? That's it. If we have a plan, then we're going to eliminate a lot of the ambiguity and we're going to create more, uh, a clear path towards making a decision if we have a plan. Two more items left here. Be visible. Make sure other people know what you're doing, how you're doing. Show that you're winning. Are you developing people into superstars? Let it be known. I say all the time, a frontline manager's internal customer, one of your internal customers is that manager that takes that person from you and puts them on your team. If you're an SMB account executive manager and you're developing people for the mid-market enterprise teams, are you, are you creating rock stars? Are you creating people that are going to go in and just crush? Great. Let it be known. Are you entering hard to reach new markets and doing a good job of it? Are you ahead of plan? Are you able to do things that are really hard and actually succeed? Let it be known. Are you building infrastructure for scale? Did you spend last weekend working on the sales playbook? Did you help marketing tweak the message? Are you helping customer success come up with better customer stories and use cases that they can use, that marketing can use? How are you building an infrastructure for scale? Let it be known. And then whatever you're doing, make sure it's known across the org. If only one person knows what you're doing, if only your boss knows what you're doing, what happens if they leave? What happens if it's, it's not the case always, but what happens if your boss is on the hot seat and they've identified them as somebody that might not be a, a long-term employee of the organization? Take your accomplishments and make sure that you're getting credit for them and let them be known. I'm not, I'm not saying go out and try to be an empire builder or have some kind of power struggle, but power is important. And I think the people, companies do a really good job of mid-level management of not, not convincing them, 
But having the idea that we're all in it together and all of these things, your board members aren't all in it together. They're there for power. That's why they, they made that. If you're a venture back company, they made that investment. They took that board seat. That's it. And, and so I'm not saying go out and do a power struggle and try to get as much as you can, but get some. Make sure that, that you're recognized for, for what you do. And then the last piece here is critical. Accountability. Do what you say you're going to do. And if you combine that with the items above, that's going to really help your boss stay off your back. So let's, let's replay those briefly. Commitment. Get a commitment from your boss around what good looks like. On a timeline, when should things happen? Get the support of your boss and ensure that you're not hanging out there to solve problems that might even be unsolvable. For your meetings with your boss, have a clear agenda. Have a similar format every week and get them to add things before the meeting when at all possible. Have a reporting package so you look at the same metrics every week. If you need to add them, if it's important enough to add, it's important enough to stay there for the next week. No surprises. Don't surprise your boss and have a plan. Don't just go in with what to do. Say, hey, here's a plan. Sign off or edit. Be visible across the organization and be accountable. Do what you say you're going to do. And I think the the piece that might not be so obvious here is that your boss has lots of employees. Maybe, maybe just a handful. Maybe eight or ten. Maybe more. I don't know. And when it comes to keeping your boss off your back, these people are your competitors. Now, maybe your boss isn't on anybody's back. But if you are the one who they've identified as, as a potential problem, or if you're the one that it's just easy to kind of get into your, your business, they could use that as deflection. They could, they could get into your business and they say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go work with Corey because uh, he's got all these problems and that's where I'm, I'm spending my time. And then if the other team, the rest of the team that reports to that person, if they're struggling too, well, your boss is using you as the reason that they're not able to, to work with them. I've just, as you know, in addition to coach CRM, I, I found a closed loop, worked as a sales management consultant for years, and I've seen countless instances where people did not follow the guidance above, and they end up being the, the person who, the, A, if they don't follow the guidance, the boss is on their back. If they do follow the guidance, the boss is worried about other folks. Now, you, you get support from the boss. That's great. And again, I hope that all of your bosses are supportive and doing the things that, that you need to work together to win. But if not, if your boss is on your back, are you able to keep them off? If you're starting a new role in your company or your job elsewhere, think through the items that we've outlined here. Good luck. Go forth and prosper. We wish you the best. This has been another episode of the Sales Management Podcast brought to you by Coach CRM, coachcrm.com. If you coach salespeople or other people to do on your team, check us out. See how we can help make your managers better coaches and provide executive level visibility into coaching activity and performance across the team. Until next time, I'm Corey Bray. See you soon.